0: Crush your sugar cravings with delicious all natural bossa bars for menopause. Created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the pause. And just in time for the holidays, the new double chocolate brownie bossa bar. Try them at bossabars.com and save 10% with code hotcold 10 <laughs>
1: Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics Podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. Today, we are catching up with film, stage, and TV actress, Bess Armstrong. You may remember Bess from The Four Seasons, which is one of my favorite Favorite movies of all times so is with Alan Alda, Rita Moreno, Carol Burnett. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. But she's recently been in I Love That For You on Showtime, and they're waiting to hear if it's being renewed. It's a wonderful show. Check it out if you haven't. And we're going to talk to her about a little bit of everything the story of her life, what she's doing now, how her menopause, and yes, she just flew through menopause without an issue. <laughs> but she had other things. So yes. you'll hear about
0: <laughs> that. But you guys, she is so funny. She is smart. And oh my gosh, she's so smart. But her sense of humor is so funny. I had no idea I was going to laugh this hard in
1: this interview. And I had to interject and ask what it was like to be on the love boat. I had to do it. I, I just, <laughs> oh, I've always so wanted funny. to not- I've always wanted to know what the Love Boat was like to film. It just seemed so cheesy. And well, I was like, yeah, and I loved it, it sounds like it was a challenge. Oh, I love the Love Boat. I love the Love Boat. Love yes. Boat and then Fantasy, Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island. So we'll get started on that. But before we do, guys, this week starts our fourth annual holiday giveaway. I can't believe it's our fourth one. I cannot. Mm-mm. Today yeah. is I know exactly. Today is actually the last day that you can enter for bundle number one. Now there will be four bundles. Bundle number one, we do until November 30th at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. So you still have time to do it. It is a menopause symptoms and solutions giveaway bundle with 10 different brands. So you have clothing, you have hot flash sprays, you have a year subscription to midday. Health with um, Mayo Clinic. It's an amazing bundle. It's worth $862. Not that we're being specific, but $862. <laughs> and 0.0,
0: 0 cents.
1: Okay? Exactly. Yes. And you can enter at, on our website, hotflashescooltopics.com. You can enter on our Instagram. There's links everywhere. You, I'll leave a link in the show notes for this episode. Then starting tomorrow will be bundle two. You'll have three days to enter. Bundle two will be midlife sleep solutions we are giving away guys this bundle is amazing rest cooling comforter is offering a comforter and sheets which by the way i just bought the sheets because i love the comforter so much worth at least five six hundred dollars you get to choose what size for your particular bed and i if I could enter, if Bridget could enter, we would. I would get it. I would. I guess I'll have to order it. But I mean, that is so that amazing. along with sleep supplements and lots of things in that basket. So we have many brands. Bundle number three is Midlife Health and Wellness. Again, tons of brands. Great products. You can check them all out on our social media and our website. And finally, bundle four, which will be December 7th through the 9th, is Midlife Skin and Beauty. And one of our brands there is going to be Laura Geller so you guys are not going to want to miss that one okay oh I and love it yes. easy to get information on our website hotflashescooltopics.com don't miss these giveaways and in the words of one of our winners last year she said wait this is real
0: and we like, <laughs> yeah, yes. is this legit is this for real yes it is yes we are not a scam no we, we will be getting these products there you go shipped
1: directly to you by many of the companies we will ship out a few ourselves And it's very easy to enter. You just leave your email on the entry form and you're done. Let your girlfriends know about it. How many times do you get to enter a midlife woman's giveaway? You know, Mm -hmm. I don't always want some of the giveaways that they're giving for, you know, millennials and Gen Xers.
0: But this is for us, ladies. This is for us. And, you know, just make sure you enter if you don't win the first one. Enter the next time.
1: You know. Yes, you can enter as, yes. as often as you want in each bundle. So yes, there you so go. Make sure you do. That we are gonna get started with our very funny and entertaining conversation with Bess Armstrong. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, everybody. Today we have on Bess Armstrong and we are going to be catching up with her. She is a star of film, stage and TV. And honestly, just one of my favorites, The Four Seasons, it's a movie that has always stuck with me, and I can't wait to talk to you about it. So welcome to the show. Well,
2: thank you all for having me. This is such a pleasure.
1: We like to start the Catching Up series with what you're doing now. So we know that you're on I Love That For You. How was that experience?
2: Oh, that was wonderful. That was and and actually that that ended in I guess at the beginning of May. And I have not been doing anything since, which is really kind of like a whole new thing for me, just to kind of say, you know what? It's been a crazy year. It's been a tough year. And we had just finished a massive, like this is an old house. Pipes were exploding. We put it off forever. We redid the bathrooms. Nightmare. Nightmare. <laughs> I lived in one tiny little room for like three and a half months. My husband's a big guy. It was was an experience. Um, So I just said, you know what? All I want to do is pull up the drawbridge and unpack boxes and not put anything away that should be thrown away. You know, it was one of those Marie Kondo moments. And I just took the summer and I actually went back east and vacationed with my sisters. And I'm glad that it was prefaced by, I love that for you, which was just such a treat. Coming out of COVID, what a treat to do a show like that with those, just a remarkable cast, remarkable cast. Vanessa Bayer, can't say enough about her, Jennifer Lewis, Molly Shannon, and this uh, amazing supporting cast of the most talented actors. It's been a treat. It really has. And all about, you know, a mythical home shopping network, which, right, talk about ripe for comedy. You know, there you go. The whole so. situation
0: in that that movie, I le, or, or not movie, television series, it, it I let. Well, Vanessa Bayer is a cancer survivor. I think she, she is. is. Yes. She
2: yes. Is. This is why, you know, and when I would say to people, well, it's a comedy, but it's a little bit based on Vanessa's life. You know, she was a cancer survivor. People go, wait, what? A comedy? You know, and yet it's really funny. The whole idea that what what, what Vanessa shared with me is she is an adored only child. And um, uh, her parents... Only child did she have a brother, wait, I'm thinking, but she, okay, but her parents, wonderful, loving, close-knit family, and she had childhood leukemia, and spent a lot of her adolescence, you know, and early teen years in isolation, unable to go to school and socialize, and it, it was things on TV that became her obsession, that became her family and her comfort zone, and one of them was home shopping, one of them was actually a show I was in called My So Called Life, okay. which is, I'm sure, why I ended up playing her mother in this because <laughs> she is one of the most remarkably dedicated. My so-called life people I've ever met, and I've met a lot. So, um, but she makes it that the whole point in the show, she was saying that her family was not above using the cancer as a way to get special perks. You know, she she'd say like in apples, applebee. You know, her mother would be the one to sort of go. You know, she was a, she had cancer. She has cancer. She'd really like the dessert for free. You know, that's sort of And so, you know, she kind of got into that habit that this was something occasionally you could pull out you could pull out the cancer card and um, so the whole premise of this show is that this girl who did have cancer as a child was in the hospital adored the home shopping network gets a chance to audition and at a key moment when she may or may not get the job blurts out I have cancer and therefore gets the job because the head of the network, Jennifer Lewis, you played wonderfully by Jennifer Lewis, sees this as a marketing opportunity, that this can be something they exploit. And then she's stuck. She's stuck. How does she maneuver all of that?
1: Do you think they'll bring it back?
2: Well, hope so. I keep checking now every day. I know we're, we have a wonderful little group cast text, and I know that the minute Vanessa knows anything, we will all know. It did really well. So I'm more than optimistic about this. It it is a hit. And so I feel good about that because here's what I would love. I would love to get a chance to do a season with a normal shooting experience. Um, COVID, I actually ended up shooting all through COVID, even pre-vaccine. And, you know, the, the studios did an amazing job of rising to this challenge. But I I am tired of pouring cups of tea down my front because of the plexiglass shield that they make you wear, which I then forget I'm wearing over and over again, right? And they do a really careful job of not bringing lots of people onto the set at once. So, you know, we did all our rehearsing by Zoom and you'd get to know all these wonderful people by Zoom. And then they, you know, the ADs would be bringing me and Matt Maloya a um, her dad, you know, in to shoot and the other ADs would be bringing out all the kids from the Home Shopping Network. And we'd sort of go, oh, from a distance, <laughs> the air hug I want to see I actually want to get a chance to meet you in person but it was you know very difficult to do that and I totally understand why they have to do it that way but I want a normal shooting season where we can all laugh and gossip and dish and work together in a much more in-person hands-on way.
1: Can you take us back to to the beginning of your career and how it got started and um, I know you were you went to Brown and all that.
2: I remember that yes so well um, I acting my I, I had one of those blessed childhoods that people laugh about they sound so um, like cliche and improbable but um, my parents uh, were school teachers they met and married in their 30s which for 1950 was scary. Um, we had both served in World War II in the Navy. My dad was a naval officer in the Pacific Arena, got sunk on a ship and all that sort of stuff. And my mom was a codebreaker. Um, she was plucked out of college, you know, senior year, to go be a top-secret codebreaker for the Navy. Wow. I you know. Wow. She was she was a formidable brain and an amazing woman and I I can speak about her brain because you know uh, we're all just fine but nobody inherited that particular freakish brain. Um, She could absorb a language dead or alive in the nanosecond and she could spot patterns to the day she died at almost 97. She could point with her cane and spot four leaf clovers just she yeah she sounds amazing amazing brain and they met you know in their 30s and they got married and they had both had difficult childhoods um being moved a lot and this and that and all they wanted was to settle down and never move again and they built a house out in the country they never moved they both left the house feet first which is what they had said they wanted to do and so we grew up um on six and a half acres out in Baltimore County, with a lot of dogs. When we went to college and majored in theater. They said, "Well, as the, you know, I, I actually first majored in classics, but I said I really want to try to be in theater. Classics being Latin and Greek." And the, the 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 line in the family was, "Well, thank God, being a classics major, at least she will always have something really concrete to fall back on." <laughs> And, you know, being 17, I, I was not quite ready for it, especially in 1971. There I am once again dating myself. Yes, 1971 mm-hmm. was when I went off to college. And um, it was a very free world, right? Mm-hmm. Sex washed off. Am I allowed to say that? You, know?
1: <laughs> you are. Yeah. You absolutely can yes. say that.
2: You know, my my husband has often said that given... Our, where we are in, you know, in terms of our age, we were that generation that lived from the beginning of it and to the end of the period where sex washed off, so to speak, both in terms of reputationally and in terms physically, that, that the world has changed. But it's hard in a way to talk to young people now and make them understand that you know, back then the world was really opening up, and what you were being challenged to do, for better or worse, was leave these inhibitions of the 50s and 60s behind and um, not put so much weight on these things. Um, I guess there were good reasons for it back then. I was not very good at it, I was sort of a small monogamist and a little bit shy and all that sort of stuff. But so, yeah, I got to Brown and at Brown started acting. And fell in love with it. And by the time I got out of Brown, I had, you know, been in just dozens of plays. I had directed plays, which I actually think if life hadn't happened the way it had with me hitting as young as I had hit, I actually think that might have been the direction I ended up pursuing. And I went off to New York with, um, a friend from Brown. She and I had directed musicals together and she was this marvelous pianist and conductor. And we moved to New York, um, each had maybe a thousand dollars to our name. Um, and she said, I'm going to be a conductor on Broadway, unheard of right for women. And I said, no, I'm going to be an actress. And we both did. Wow. We both did. She went on to have a, Lifelong career. She's still working as a musical director and conductor. And um, I did okay. But uh, I got to New York, and right away, my only goal was theater. All all, all I wanted to do was get to Broadway, and it's the only thing I haven't done. (laughs) My goal. And I was within six months of getting to New York. I had a part-time day job as a secretary to a beat poet in the village, you know, again, pursuing really viable career options. (laughs) Um, He was secretary to a beat poet. Um, and then, but I got into a little off off Broadway theater company called the Perry street theater. And one of their first productions was 12th night, um, Shakespeare's 12th night. And I got to play Viola and, um, Some of the other actors in that show already had agents Um, in those days. And I don't know if it still works this way. You could moonlight with agents. You could um, just work with several, you know, at a time and see if one of them got more work for the other. You know, it was just a way of getting out there more often. And some of these um, actors, agents came to see Twelfth Night, and several of them offered to take me on on a non-signed basis and begin sending me out. And um, what I started going up for almost right away were commercials. And it was like, oh my god, a camera? What what do I, I had no idea. I was used to playing to the back of the house. know way out here and with a camera it was right in my face and it was like I had I was so inhibited I had no idea how to do it and I think one day reading through some script for like a book detergent commercial. Bold breaks the hold that dirt has on, you know, or something like that. I I found myself staring at a doorknob and imagining that the doorknob was the camera and all of a sudden I got it. It was like, oh no, you're selling to this doorknob right in front of you. That's who you're talking to. And I went in and I got that commercial. And it was a national, which was a big deal. And in the next month and a half, I landed six more national commercials. Um, like I can't Crisco and diapers and baby powder and, you know, the Procter and Gamble, you know, young mom. And then they started sending me out on television in the first pilot season since I had been working with them. And in that pilot season, I got two pilot offers on one day and a soap And I had no idea how any of this worked. And I left a really kind of, I was very shy around these agents. I left a really polite little note. Before the days of texts or anything like that, I left a little note for them. I went up to the office and said, Oh, no, don't bother them. I'll just leave them a note. And I left them a note saying, So I got offered this, I got offered this, and then I got offered this soap opera. That's so exciting. Can I do all of them? And I left town for the weekend. (laughs) And by the time I got back on Monday morning, my answering machine had exploded and my phone was ringing off the hook. And they were like, No, you can't do them all at once. The way Pilot works is you have to choose one. What are we doing here? (laughs) And it turned out that one of them was actually a screen test, not a flat out offer. And, but it was the only one of the three that was shot in front of a live audience. And that was all I knew. And I said, I'm going to gamble on that. And I gambled and I did that screen test and I got the role. And it was for a CBS sitcom called on our own about two young gals making it in advertising in New York City. And uh, they were the tall one and the short one. And the short one was the little waspy copywriter, and the tall one was the sort of like, I guess they decided it was ultimately Italian. They just at that point said ethnic, dark, tall. Um, And she was the one who did the art direction. So this was in the day when there were only three networks, and so if you were the star of a network show, it was kind of a big deal. We were 22. It, it really was, I look back on it now, and she and I are still friends and still talk about it. Lenny Green, she went on to be a really spectacular uh, writer in television. Um, and um, uh, Lenny and I still talk about it. It was an abduction of sorts. You know, on the one hand, all you can do is be phenomenally grateful Because the business has to be preparation meets opportunity meets luck. Those three things, you know, and all three are necessary. You can be totally prepared if you don't get the opportunity or the luck. It's too bad, but it happens. And the same thing, you know, the opportunity was this. The luck was would it go or not, you know, and it did. The pilot sold. And there, the two of us were 22 years old, the star of a CBS sitcom. It was wonderful, but at the same time, neither of us was really prepared for it. And, you know, your weekends aren't your own. Every weekend, they're flying you around the country since Zoom didn't exist to meet with different affiliates. And um, they would put you up in these luxurious rooms and you'd be going, oh, oh my gosh, look, flowers, oh my gosh, a fruit basket. But you would be whisked off to a little sound booth where you would spend the entire day meeting affiliates at 20 minute intervals, you know, who would come in and um, do their little spiel with you. So it sounded so glamorous and on one level it was and we were grateful. But on the other hand, it was a very tough life. You had no time to yourself, no personal life at all. So on the one hand, again, I say I am only grateful. But on the other hand, in retrospect, I can see that to have had a few years of seasoning, a few years to be out there learning the trade, learning, uh, just gaining experience would have been great. So I did tons of movies of the week and things like that. And then I got the four seasons. And (laughs) I love
1: that. You have to tell that story, please.
2: (laughs) So, uh, so I got this movie, huge, huge deal. Um, Alan Alda just coming off of MASH, one of the hugest stars in the world. And this was the first movie that he wrote and was going to direct as well as star in. And the rest of the cast was Carol Burnett, Rita Moreno, uh, Len Carew, Sandy Dennis, and Jack Weston. These were just all formidable, formidable established older talents, right? Uh, but again, I'm 25 or 26 by now. I guess 25. I was saying to friends, it is so exciting. I got this movie, guys, and it's this really cool role. I mean, I can't tell you much about it because it would ruin the movie, but you know, she's kind of the only young person in the movie. And it's great. I said, the only problem is this really... You know, it's an old person's movie, and nobody's going to want to watch this. You know, I mean, let's be honest, you know, it's all about older people. You know, I mean, kinda, I don't know. I mean, they're over 40. <laughs> 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 yeah, so that was my – so when I came out and it was this ginormous hit, I was like, whoa, who? There, are there that many older people in the world? Who knew? I mean, who's watching this? And then I cut to about five or six years ago, it was the 35th anniversary of this movie. And there was a film festival over here in the west side of LA that reached out to Alan and said, we'd like to do a screening. Would you come out for a QA? and a And he said, you know what? I don't normally do that, but I love this movie and I'm going to do it. And he invited me and Carol to join him for that evening and that Q&A. And two things about it. One was (laughs) a girlfriend went with me as my sort of date. My husband was working somewhere, was out of town. He's a movie producer, and he was not in town. So she went with me. And halfway through the movie, she turns to me and she goes, baby, can we talk about how hot you (laughs) were? I know, right? So why did I think I looked so horrible? Oh my God! I'm looking at myself now at 60, right? I'm looking at myself, going, wait a second, what was it that I was so hung up on, so inhibited by? Youth is beautiful. Youth is just pretty. It doesn't, you know. Do you know what I mean? That's what I want to say to every young person. You have no idea how how much youth in itself is just beauty itself. But for me, all I could think about was my stomach wasn't flat enough. I didn't like my legs. I didn't like this. My my waist was too short. Oh, my chest was too flat. That's all I could think about. So there I am sitting there thinking, wow, what was, what was I so hung up about? But then I was also looking at Carol and at Alan and Rita and all of them going, oh my God, they were young. They were young. What What was was my perspective as a 20-year-old, 25-year-old, that these people to me were over the hill? Isn't that crazy? But you know, but it's probably good never to lose those different perspectives, right? It was fun for me at 60 to look back and then apologize to Carol and Alan. But you were old, you know? Who knew? Because now I was 60 looking back and saying, oh my gosh, you were like, you were babies too. You know, I wasn't even on the map. You guys were human beings. You were like, so it's, um, but that was a wonderful experience and wonderful also in that, again, you know, coming out of theater as opposed to television, I realized just by working with other young actors that um, theater had given me a level of professionalism that if not always, I'm not in any way saying uh, I made tons of mistakes and tons of just rude, you know, uh, false, just bad moves because I was so young and that's inevitable. It's part of being young. But having been trained since I was a kid in theater, There was a level of professionalism I had about the way you act on a set that um, crew members began calling out to me and just saying, wow, that's different. I mean, some of it, I I had to, you know, I I would, if I had props, you know, in a scene when they said cut at the end, I would automatically replace the props to start over. And then the prop guy began walking up going, you know, that is my job. You don't have to do that. (laughs) So it was like, oh well, but to this day, I'm not capable of that. I am in that sense theater trained, but where I, the, what I got to see on on the four seasons that was really valuable, was to see people who were bona fide stars, Carol and Alan. There were there were no bigger stars in the universe at that point than Alan Alda and Carol Burnett, and to watch the humility and grace that they had on the set, their kindness, their um, professionalism, that they never, ever treated any member of the crew as anybody less than themselves. That they they really personified the the great truth that making a movie is a team sport. And that every single person on a set has their important contribution to make, and no one deserves to be talked down to or disrespected. And that lesson I really took to heart and hope that I have always continued in not only in my professional life, but in my personal life. And that's such an important lesson there too. What great role
0: models, well your parents as well, but what a great way to model how to behave,
2: especially on A set a movie or television set box at it i find i find some of it excessive you know the I've, i've watching some some public figures watching some of them strive to be relevant in really critical political moments or social moments Um, You know, during Black Lives Matter or, you know, something like that, when they were trying to twist themselves into pretzels to stay in front of their audiences and yet seem to be really more concerned about this issue. Uh, My problem is I sit there going, huh, I, I don't know that I'm a voice that should be speaking out on this particular issue. I think I'm a voice that needs to listen, you know, and learn. I'm I'm sounding very holier than thou. I don't mean to. Like I say, I know I've got to do some of this, but I am not fluent in that at all. And young actors today uh, dazzle me. On um, I love that for you. Vanessa instantly started saying, guys, here's what, if you want to put something out on your uh, platforms, blah, blah, blah. Here it is, here it is. And I'm going, I could email. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> How have you seen... Hollywood change for women in our demographic for 40, 50, 60, 70? Are there as many opportunities or less opportunities?
2: I think at this point, television has more opportunities for women over 40. Uh, Let's say over 50, because I think on the one hand, the viability period for women has um, lengthened. I think 40 used to be a hard out. And um, I think it's now 50 or over in terms of a star's viability for women in, but, but those are rarefied cases, you know, we're talking really at the top of the top. I think for older women, we're still in this thing where uh, it's just become easier to think in terms of four or five women of a certain age and, only think in terms of them, you know? And there are just a crazy number of remarkably talented, formidably talented older women, older actresses. I would venture to say more so than there are older talented actors out there. And there isn't all that much opportunity. Uh, The statistics are still really, really bad for women over 50. I think it's a friendlier place to work. I think that um, one thing I applaud 100% is that women of color have an opportunity now um, that they never had. Well, I think performers, actors of color have opportunity that they never had. But um, what I'll see now is somebody will send a project to me if you're interested, would you be willing to meet? Would you be willing to, you know, self-tape, whatever? And if I look at the character description and it says 60s, any ethnicity um, must be able to play female, but doesn't have to be, you know, identify as female, I go, the chances of them choosing me as a straight white woman are probably close to nothing. Um, If I'm interested in the role, I'll still put myself out there. But Instead of being bitter about that, I laugh about it, you know? There will always be venal headmistresses and Nazis and other roles that are exclusively, you know, the realm of um, older white women. Um, that's joking. But, but I applaud the fact that the world has opened up to, again, these marvelous performers that just never got a shot it's their turn. It really is. It is their turn. It means that things can are a little less interesting for me, but I've had a good run and I still work. Um, I say it's their turn. My, my sons, I have two boys, they're both um, grown up. One of them is married to a woman who identifies as Brown. She's an Indian American. As she says, not me, dot, not feather. That's how she identifies herself, which apparently is a common joke with all of them. So her family came over from India. She was born here. She identifies as brown. And my son is my other son. My younger son is, um, I guess you could say, engaged to a, a woman who is black. Mm -hmm. This has been life changing for me, Uh, not just to be working professionally with or knowing in uh, setting through school or something, but to have as part of our family, women who grew up with such a different experience from my own. And it's been humbling. And in some ways, it's been heartbreaking. Um, These are dynamic, remarkable women who have uh, achieved so much in their fields, they both, as it happens, are in um, public health, mental health, uh, working in minority populations. And um, I'm in awe of them. And yet I have seen them marginalized or disrespected in a Starbucks. It just makes me ashamed, you know? It's very interesting because of just
0: different guests that we've had and really women um, that aren't white women how they're treated in the medical uh realm when they go to a doctor. And oh. you know, women in the first place being a woman, you're not going to be listened to as much in the medical world. And right. if you're if you're not white, it's that much worse. That I I mean we've had friends that same issues, same problems go to the doctor somebody like me is
2: listened to better, maybe given better treatment than someone <laughs> who isn't Presumptions made, you know that it must be this, it must be that hypertension, blah blah blah, this and that. Um, by the way, on that note, in the last ten years, I have switched to all women doctors, ladies, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, <laughs> it I prefer women pleasure. doctors. It's a pleasure, the the difference in the experience, you know, because I'm I am blessed with very good health, um and I stay fit and all this sort of stuff, but. I'm sorry. You reach a certain age and those can, things start creeping in on you, you know? <laughs> Stuff starts happening. Body parts start wearing out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: they do. How, you know, with with that in mind, how was your experience with the transition of menopause? Was it a smooth sail or a rocky road?
2: You know, I had a smooth sail. Um, but, which is not I, Look, I had had other issues. I lost my first baby. I lost my first child when she was six months old, you know? So um, I've sort of, since my 30s, kind of been on a road with things that were not easy, yet always just so aware that I was going through those things surrounded by love and support and with the financial means to get through them and uh, find help. Uh, and uh, and what I've been introduced to, like through that experience, because after that I spent about 10 years as a parent-to-parent um, volunteer, you know, just on the phone with women for hours and hours and hours. You know, just what what a difference that makes. You know, the, it, I it was a terrible experience, but um, I went through it in a way that is so much easier than so many of the women that I was... Privilege to meet in those ten years or more that I spent talking to them on phones about their own similar experiences. We all have to stick together in these things. Um, Women are better at that than men. I got to say that. Uh, Menopause was for me a breeze, and then when I was uh, about to turn sixty, suddenly something began happening. What I loved, I went to my OB, and she checked and she said, "Well, this is a wait and see thing. I don't know." I loved this. I I was fairly new with her, and she's a wonderful OB. She called me up. She said, are you driving? Pull over. She goes, so I've been talking to some other doctors here, all women. And she said, and we suddenly thought, what the hell does she need that thing for? She doesn't need her uterus anymore. Why why would we leave it in on a wait and see? Let's just get it out. And I thought, I love this attitude, you know? Um, And as it turned out, it was lucky they did. It was oh, lucky that wow. there was precancerous, you know. So I again, but I loved being in the trenches with women on that, and obviously there was more discussion to that to it than that. But so I had a hysterectomy at age uh, sixty, and of course my big concerns with the hysterectomy uh, was well, um, what about, you know, I've been using an estrogen patch and I really like having that little, what about that? And what about this? You know, um, you know, will it affect my sex life? You know, I'm lucky enough to have a sex life. It's, you know, well, all those things. Am I allowed to say that? Was that bad? Yes, you are. We talk talk all about that. that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, you know, those were the things I was um, mainly focused on and relieved to find that there were answers to that, that, you know, I have been able to keep a minuscule amount of estrogen going in. Obviously, progesterone is gone. But as I say that it turned out, wow, um, this was proactive on this doctor's part to just kind of go, why leave it in? You know, you've had your babies. You're not likely to have more at age 60. Let's just Take, make that move now. I'm sure there are people listening who would go. That was foolish. This and that. I still have my um, ovaries, um, which turned out to be those of a 15 year old. She said when she got in and looked around. <laughs> oh, for for there that you go. Is lovely, isn't that lovely? I do insist that she scan those 15 year old. <laughs> you know, let's not have any monkey business going on with them. Yes, but uh, no. I and then uh, uh, and in short order after that. I, um, I had to have both my hips replaced this is what I'm saying ladies it all just starts falling apart after a certain point and and I'm telling you I i, I am on a, I was a, somebody who was spinning six days a week and yoga and this and that and I still do yoga religiously and hike but um I had had hip dysplasia as a baby and back in the 50s they kind of put you in a cast for six months and then said look all better after a bazillion x-rays and um uh you know look it, it's all fine so you know when they said you have hip replaced i said no i don't that was solved they said no that never gets solved really and basically your hip is gone so one after the other both my hips were replaced i climbed mountains this summer you know that was my last one was done in 2017, um, and my attitude coming out of that is because when they told me on the first one, I spent a year sure that there was there were alternatives to the replacement surgery. I was sure, you know, spent stem cells spinning and, you know, um, I hyaluronic. I don't know all these things. Physical therapy, I did acupuncture, ladies. I wasted so much time and money. Hip surgery is something that is so revolutionary at this point. I'm advertising this. If they tell you you need a hip replacement, don't waste any time. Go get your freaking hip replaced. I
1: had one other question that I was going back a ways. Love Boat. What was it like to work <laughs> on Love Boat? I'm sorry. I love Love Boat. Yeah, we. Okay, Colleen, your reference point here.
2: The fours in that We're heading back to me. Love Boat.
1: Um, I just need to know, inquiring minds, need to know. know what it was like to be on the love boat. Well, I was
2: a little nonplussed by that. I was shooting still on our own, or on our own, this first series that I did, had just finished shooting in New York. And by the way, it was a huge hit. It did not get renewed because um, CBS at that point, was had, the network had closed down all primetime television in New York. Nothing shot in New York. Saturday Night Live was the only nighttime show shooting in New York, period, except for us because our producer was a guy named David Susskind who was a talk show host and owned his own production company. He was based in New York, which was by the fluke of this little show that got shot in New York. So CBS came to David after the first season and said, we're moving you out to LA. David dug in and said, no. And the network made a calculated decision. They decided, well, we we want Bess So we'll just put her in something else. We're going to cancel the show. Now this show had Dixie Carter in it. I mean, this was a wonderful show and um, but they canceled it. They just called David's bluff and canceled it. So um, I was on a plane heading out to New York, heading out from New York to do a movie of the week with Richard Thomas right after this show, Richard Thomas and Mark Harmon. <laughs> we were all kids, you know, it's so funny. I just found a Polaroid of me and Mark and I was going, Oh God, my hair. How, who <laughs> was that? Oh, wow, wow. But boy, was he cute. Um, I got off the plane and I didn't really have an agent in New York. My agents were agent in LA. My New York agents were these premier New York agents who were um, famous for discovering ingenues and juveniles—they discovered in their day Robert Redford and Elizabeth Ashley—and their big ticket items at this point were me and Christopher Reeve, who had just signed. He was doing all the Superman movies, and but they didn't have a West Coast office, so I got off the plane not knowing, you know, who was greeting me out there. This or that. They said we haven't deal. We, this agent out there works with us. He's going to take care of you. And he met me and said, good news. I've just booked you on the love boat. And I was like, what, wait, um, wait, I'm doing, I I'm doing an episode of the love boat. And he said, yes, it'll be good for you. Well, my agents in New York didn't agree, but by that time he had already said yes. So there I was doing the love boat. So I didn't go into it with the best attitude. Walt said, Gavin McLeod was, again, one of those just delightful professionals who always looked at his enormous good luck as that, you know, uh, obviously preparation and talent, but good luck. And he was as lovely a person to sort of welcome you in as there could be. I think, I don't remember much. Oh, I remember this. I had never shot without rehearsal before, ever, because with a sitcom, you rehearse all week and then shoot in front of a live audience. So this was my first experience with no rehearsal, and it was sort of a shocker. Um, they moved like the wind, and quality was not always their goal. And so I remember it was some pretty soap opera scene with me and Grant Goodeve, I think was the name of the actor, from Eight is Enough, I remember thinking, I have no idea what to do here, but it involved tears and this and that. So I sort of threw myself down and I did the scene and this and that. And the the director goes, okay, cut. All right, honey, you did it. You live with it. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) That was my welcome to, um, you know, Multi camera or, or one camera shooting. It was it was a sort of rude awakening. I do remember that Sonny Bono was one of the other guests in the show, mm-hmm. and I had this preconceived notion of him as sort of goofy and I don't know. I'm oh, Sonny Bono. I'm you know like not my era. Blah blah blah. Well, Sonny Bono, I I ended up sitting next to him, talking to him on the set for long periods of time. He was as smart. And insightful and funny a guy as I have ever met and I never when he became mayor of Palm Springs or what I remember thinking yeah that's no mistake this guy that was one smart classy guy and he was very kind to me which I also really appreciated because again I I, I, I guess I my my Baltimore debutante training meant that I could project like, oh, everything is fine. I'm in control, and I was a terrified little kid inside. And Sonny seemed to get that, and
1: uh, he was lovely. Oh, it is Thank so nice. You. Thank you yeah. for humoring me on that. Yes. <laughs> well, my
0: I loved. I remember HBO. It's right when we got cable and Barefoot in the Park. So I must with have watched Roger with
2: Thomas. I yes, have watched that fifty times <laughs> uh, that was my my second time around with Richard. So we were good yes. buddies by then, and he, you know he had those baby triplets. I mean, yes, was, yeah, yeah triplets. So it was also exotic, you know. Um, and and talk about another pro. I mean, Richard can do it all, stage everything, and uh, so he he was another great person to work with. But what was challenging about that? Um, And I had also done that role before in summer theater while I was in college. I had done that role um, simultaneously playing Laura in Barefoot and Laura in the Glass Menagerie And Eliza in Pygmalion. I—that's repertory theater. You've got those three roles all in your head at once. You're doing. Do you know what I mean? Oh my goodness! That's the the wonderful experience of theater that you never. I mean, it's like a tightrope walk, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to come out with the wrong lines on the wrong night. But so I knew the role. So so we were doing it. But this was HBO's first attempt at um, filming. Uh, a live performance, filming a play in front of a live audience. And so they were new at it. And they put us in an th- old theater up in Seattle, Washington, that was, uh, it was an amazing theater. It was made out of wood. It had three balcony tiers. I think the the uh, highest one you couldn't be in anymore, it's sort of been like they, they closed that to the public, you know, mm-hmm. structurally. But the acoustics in this place were absolutely brilliant. But it was like a 2,000-seat house or something. And... So they put us, and both of us were stage-trained, as was Hans Codreed and, and Barbara Barry, who were playing the other two roles. And Jamie Cromwell played the telephone uh, repair oh. guy. Okay. How about that? So five actors, all stage-trained, they put us in this enormous house and asked us to play with the cameras that were right there in front of the front row. Well... And uh, we had a, I had I uh, may be the toughest time with that because you put me in front of a big house of people, I'm going to play to the back row because they deserve to hear the show. But it's a very different thing than playing for a camera. So I was never quite sure whether we got the balance right or not, you know?
1: Oh, well, I uh, loved
2: it. <laughs> I loved
1: it. <laughs> so what are you looking forward to over the next couple of years besides becoming a grandma? Do you think you'll keep acting or...
2: Yeah, what what I what I'm you know on that to do list with get more fluent in social media. Um, I I'm working on the balance right now. What I found, um, you know, there I had some ongoing projects during COVID. I was in Bosch, um, the Amazon series, um, and we shot the last season of that in the fall of 2020. So before there were any. Um, vaccines or anything. Um, I was still working a little bit on Gray's Anatomy at that point, and um, I love that. For you, actually, the pilot we were all signed to the pilot in March of 2020, and uh, then everything shut down. So um, it was a surprise when, um, right at Christmas time in 2020, we got the news that we were going to be—is that right? Yeah, 2021—that we were going to be shooting the pilot in March of 2021. So. I kind of was working on all those projects that I already had lined up. So at this point, I've, I, I've really kind of gotten, I'm sitting back to a certain extent kind of going, what falls in my lap? Um, because in the meantime, uh, there is, I have a very full life Which doesn't mean that I wouldn't love some fabulous, challenging role uh, on stage or on screen to fall in my lap. And I know that that's unlikely. So that's where I'm struggling with how much effort am I, how much of my life at this moment do I want to devote to that? Um, Realistically, because, you know, I dropped out of business for all intents and purposes for six or seven years in the early two thousands, and I knew the price I was going to pay for that professionally. But my kids were hitting that inarticulate Neanderthal um, teenage, you know, adolescent period. And what I learned very quickly was there was no such thing as "Can you sit down, please? We need to have a talk." Conversations—the really important conversations—happened on their schedule, and you never knew. Usually, it wasn't convenient. But if you weren't there, you missed it. I was, uh, maybe I was just a more than ordinarily worried mom because we had had such a weird beginning to being parents and uh, I don't know. But I made a decision just as the business was leaving town. I made a decision; I was staying home. So right now, I'm post-pandemic. I'm trying to rebalance back a little bit in favor of the career because things got a little bit out of balance to all the other things that you could do happily on Zoom. Oh, Thank,
1: you so, Thank much you so much for coming to yeah. talk to us today. It was an absolute yeah. pleasure. This, this was, was fun. fun. Yeah. You were hilarious.
0: You You were so fun and relatable. Relatable. And fingers
1: crossed that you, I love that for you. Yes. Well, everybody watch it. It's on show.
2: It's just such a wonderful show. And that trifecta of Vanessa bear, Jennifer Lewis, and Molly Shannon, right? And the rest of us are pretty darn good too. Yes. Yes. I'm (laughs) going to say it is a wonderful show. And I hope everybody watches it. Yes.
0: Well, we want to thank Bess Armstrong so much for being on the show. I just, I I don't know. I laughed so hard in that interview. I, I mentioned in the interview how I always watched Barefoot on in the Park when it was on HBO. And I also love, I love that for you. She is really funny as the mother of Vanessa Bayer's character in that TV show. And I really hope it gets picked up again, just listening to her tell the premise and how Vanessa Bayer came up with that was really amazing. Make sure that you check out our gift guide as well. We have some great products and great things in there. I mean, just all kinds of, I don't know, 30 plus pages. Oh, yes. I mean, I've been flipping through it myself, making sure that I was getting stuff and ordering stuff. So my daughter needs some new cookware. So I'm going to order that Caraway because I have two sets of that Caraway. So and you I, love I, it, right? I love it. I love it. So I was like, hey, girl, okay, you need some cookware? Here you go. Makeup, you know, Laura Geller, like I said, just one of our favorites. And don't Goodies. forget. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, all kinds. Just don't forget, too, to enter, like Colleen mentioned at the beginning of the episode, for our holiday giveaway. So you have till 5 o'clock today, Central Standard Time, to enter for a Menopause, Symptoms, and Solutions basket. And we have three more. Giveaway. So check it out on our website. We have links everywhere. And if you don't win today's, enter
1: again for the other giveaways because you just might win because it is legit. Exactly. And let your girlfriends know about it so that they have a chance to win. It's more fun to share. Yes. And <laughs> there's plenty of products for everyone in each of those bundles. So guys, we hope you are enjoying your holiday season. We certainly are because we're making sure to be giving away and shopping for midlife women since we are the voice of midlife women. Have a wonderful week and we will talk to you next time. Bye.